inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thank you for joining this new episode, and we're going to talk about storytelling, and I want our two guests to really surprise me with new ideas about storytelling. Who are our guests today? We have, first of all, Emily Edgeley. She is a public speaking coach for the technology industry. Since 2017, she's run over 250 group coaching sessions, coached more than 200 people privately and formally supported first-time and experienced speakers in 16 conferences, covering more than 1,000 people across the globe. She helps people in tech learn how to speak with clarity, impact, and confidence to boost their influence, brand, and career. Hello, Emily. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Yes, welcome back. It's true. As I think a couple of years you were here. So fantastic hearing you, but now we are... Another guest who is Leon Conrad. He is a story structure consultant, storyteller, writer, poet, and tutor based in London, UK. He is author of Story and Structure, a complete guide. That has, that's his latest book, which is shortlisted for the People's Book Prize and is winner of a Firebird Award. Other books are History Riddles, Odyssey, Dynamic Learning Journey, co-authored with David Pinto, and Aesop, the Storyteller. Hello, Leon. Hello, Oscar. Hello, Emily. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Welcome, both. Okay, so I would like to hear from my guests about storytelling. We have been talking about storytelling in several of these episodes, so now I'd like to hear some really new things, new thoughts, new ideas. Uh, so I want them to surprise us today with some ideas. So I'll start with the first question. So you, you choose who, who, who you will start answering. Beyond what we usually hear about storytelling, what are the most unusual thoughts or ideas that you can share with us? to make someone's story succeed. Okay. I'm happy to jump in. So the way I like to think about a story or the way that I try and teach my clients is I try and get people to think of the transformation that they're trying to share in a story a bit like a before and after gym selfie. Now, let me explain. About eight years or so ago, on social media, these posts kept coming up from a fitness expert and they were before and after selfies and I was identifying with the people on the left-hand side, the before photos, and I wanted to be the person on the right. Now, they kept coming up so much that I was motivated enough to figure out how on earth did this fitness lady get these transformations? So I wanted to find out the bridge between the two. And I found out that it was an app and I went and bought the app and I did indeed get the transformation. 
Now, the interesting thing was if she had have been just posting about the app, as in it's four workouts a week, it's, you know, 27 minutes long, it costs $120, I would never, ever have bought the app. And I always keep that in mind in terms of my stories. So whether it's you're trying to explain something that you've implemented in the past at work or whether you're trying to explain something that's posed and you want to show the transformation, I always try and get people to think of that gym selfie. If you can show a big difference between the before and the after, you're either going to show value of what you have implemented or what you're proposing. Obviously, it's completely different. In the tech world, we're not taking gym selfies, but it's that same analogy that you're trying to show a big difference between the before and the after so that people get excited about the bridge. So, Emily, I'm going to ask you a question. What about the skeptics in the room? What about the cases where it didn't work? How do you deal with that? Do you mean, so do you mean the, in the, the gym one or do you mean with the story? I'm not sure. Uh, I mean both. So there must be cases where it didn't work for the gym instructor. There must be cases where the presenter who has a story to tell knows that there are cases where their proposed solution may not be the most effective solution. Mm -hmm. Or there may be required buy-in from the client that is the project is dependent on that may or may not be forthcoming. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with those kind of things? Well, to me, the the gym selfie analogy works really well because people <clears throat> will get bought into something and, and you can almost turn a sceptic into a believer if you prove that there is a certain transformation. And to me, that's what a story does is it's either your story or someone else's story. It humanises the tool or the process or whatever it is that you're talking about that can get someone a result. I find too often in the tech world, people just talk about the tool or the process or the approach, but they fail to talk about the transformation. And to me, a story proves the transformation. So that's how I would deal with the skeptics. Mm -hmm. So for me, I've just written a book about story structure and In the process, I've looked at story in a very, very wide way. In fact, what I propose in the book is that we rethink our idea of story. Story for me is everywhere. It's not just something you put into a business presentation. It is the business presentation itself. It's not something you use to make sense of your life. It is your life. Story is the basic, uh, fundamental level of four levels I describe. Mm-hmm. Story is at the bottom. Then you have story structure. Then you have a particular story, a particular story we want to tell. Yeah. And finally, you have the interpretation, the performance of the story, the telling of the story, the, the printed version of the story, the theater performance you go to which is one in a series of a run. But fundamentally at the bottom, the fourth level down is story as a phenomenon. And story as a phenomenon takes many shapes, takes many structures. Each structure I've found 
comes from a different type of problem. When I work with people, I try to understand what problem they're facing so they can match their story to a structure that is ideally suited to solve that kind of problem. What I find very often is that in business presentations, people try to tell the story of the three little pigs and leave out the wolf. They say, look, here we are, three little pigs in a wonderful house, and they did it because they built their houses themselves, and here they are, they learned to live together. Isn't that wonderful? Can you buy into it? Yeah, great. I can do that. I can build the houses. I can learn to live with people. But it's not the story of the three little pigs. If you leave out the wolf, you leave out the excitement, you leave out the challenges. And the story structure that an academic essay, a business presentation, and the three uh, little pigs follow, not to mention a mathematical proof, are exactly the same. They're the ideal structure to follow if you want to uh, tell a story which solves a particular problem that is within people's power to solve. Mm, I love the analogy that you've got about the three little pigs and, yeah, I, I think in at least the way that I think about it in terms of the three parts of the structure, the problem, which is the first part of the structure, anything can happen in that problem phase. And if you don't have a problem phase, you don't really have a story worth telling, in my opinion. So, yeah, I completely agree that you need to have the something happening or some issues for people to even care about the story in the first place. So for me, the quest structure has, um, I call it six main components. In the book, it's done slightly differently, but there's a problem. As a result of the problem, the character goes on a journey. On that journey, they meet a friend or helper. On that journey, they then, as a result of meeting the friend or helper, manage to overcome the enemy or hindrance that's standing in the way and they reach an outcome or a resolution. If the outcome is a new problem that emerges, then they loop back to the beginning problem. They go on a journey. They apply a new friend or helper to overcome the problem. And sometimes it takes a try, try, try again loop before the problem is finally resolved and they can reach a closing. And isn't life like that? I mean, we are. Exa that's exactly my point, Emily. Yeah. Story is life, life story. Yeah. And I, I think there's too much in the, at least in the corporate world, of just telling the one slice of the series of events that are absolutely interconnected. And for people to understand, especially if they're not as knowledgeable about that particular thing that you are, they need a bigger picture so that they can understand. So, whether it's your six-part story structure or whether it's a sort of three-part story structure that I think has a lot of the elements that you have in different terms, you need to show the cause and effect. And that's one of the things that I always talk about with my clients is connect the dots, try and show the background or the driver for this particular change. So in your structure, when you talk about that someone meets a guide or a friend, could that be a tool 
that comes in to save the day? Is that possible? Absolutely. It could be a product, a process, a service provider. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So you can cast the initial character mm -hmm. in different ways. You can tell the story about the product. You can tell the story about the uh, client. You mm -hmm. can tell the story about the um, company. Mm -hmm. The character can be different. So that, yeah, that's the not, first thing. That's the first thing. The character, who, when, where, in what condition. Problem, journey, meeting with friend or helper, meeting with enemy or hindrance, and finally the outcome or resolution. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, Leon, because I'm fascinated, what got you into storytelling? It was back in Egypt. I grew up in Egypt. I spent my formative years there between six and 18. And I was very fortunate to be in a school where the headmaster was an enlightened headmaster and knew every single member of his staff. One day, the class I was in, the worst behaved class in school, had no maths teacher. He couldn't send a sub in because there was a bug going around and lots of members of staff were off sick. And so he went down, scoured the corridors, found a cleaner. And he said, do you mind going in and seeing to 5H? I know it's 5H, but you're the only person that can cope with them. And so in she came. A young hijabah, a woman wearing a hijab. And we just thought, we're going to run roughshod over her. The paper pellets flew around and the rowdiness started until she said in a very powerful voice, would you like to hear a story? And that got our attention. We weren't going to be taught anything. We were going to be entertained. But right, settle down. What would you like to hear the story about? And that really got our attention. And for the next 45 minutes, based on ideas that had been given to her by members of the class, she spun a story improvised out of the tradition of the Arabian Nights and left us just before the bell rang on a cliffhanger. <laughs> a year later, a similar thing happened. When she came in, everyone was silent. She said, I think I've visited your class before. Where did I leave you last time? Now, we couldn't remember what we'd learned in the previous lesson, let alone in the maths lesson the week before. But everyone in the class could put up their hands and remember what she had told us. And she did the same thing, picked up where she left off, spun a wonderful story, left us 45 minutes later before the bell rang on another cliffhanger. I couldn't tell you what the content of the story was. But I remember to this day the effect she had on me. And I thought, I don't want to learn what they're teaching me in school. It's not useful. But what you do, that is interesting. It took me 40 years to find an oral storyteller working in an unbroken oral tradition who was willing to teach not just stories. She doesn't teach the stories she holds in the corpus of 4,000 she contains within her, but she does teach the techniques that she had passed down from her grandmother, her grandmother had passed down from her grandmother back generations to hold that many stories and make them come alive. 
So the woman that you just talked about was the one that told you those stories. You found her all those years later? Yes. Her name is Shona Lee Cumbos. She is, as far as we know, the last Drutzilla, a Jewish storyteller working in a Jewish women's traditional community. And the storytelling was very much part of that community. Wow. And she has been very influential on my uh, take on storytelling and how stories work. Yes. Well, verbal stories and written stories are quite different. And do you talk about that in your book? or do you- I do. Many of the stories in my book are taken from oral traditions, which inform written traditions. People talk about the Grimm stories. They're not the Grimm stories. The Grimm's just wrote them down. They were collected from oral storytellers, and it's very rare to find the oral storytellers credited. But that's who we should be crediting. Homer, if he ever existed, was one of many, many oral storytellers who had this corpus of stories in their bones and were able to recite, tell poetically, as there is a tradition in Russia of doing, great epic stories. What what would you say was an early misconception that you had about storytelling that you busted as you went through? Because I know for me, my storytelling journey somewhat started off with the more detailed Hollywood version of stories and the longer I've gone on and perhaps the more I interact with tech and security clients, the more I realise what they often need is the lighter touch version of a story. So I've somewhat gone to the opinion that a story doesn't need to be extraordinary or really elaborate, but would you agree and and or what else did you learn along your journey? Yes, absolutely. So there are different kinds of stories for different contexts, and you can tell the same story in different ways according to uh, the needs of your audience. And it is the needs of the audience that are always going to be primary. Mm. The what myths I busted... One of them is that there are more than people say there are in terms of story structures. So I go beyond Campbell's um, Hero's Journey. I go beyond the seven types of plot, Christopher Booker. I've identified 18 story structures. Now, other writers, uh, Vladimir Prop, for instance, has 31 functions. Um, or is it Polti who has 31? I can't remember. Anyway, the, I've identified 18 structures so far. And I've not come across any others. They may be out there, but I outline these in the book and I show how they interrelate. For me, story is a means of our minds making sense of the things we encounter around us. And the big discovery for me was this interconnection between the type of problem and the story structure which arises from it. And what is the most common story structure that you see that should be used? Is it the one that you talked about just before? In business contexts, it is what I call the quest structure. Mm. That six-part who, when, where, 
problem journey, meeting with the parental helper, meeting with enemy or hindrance, and outcome or resolution. And there's also the trickster. And for the storyteller, the trickster structure has a very similar structure, but instead of the character meeting a friend or helper, the character they meet is someone who is out to trick them, out to deliberately dupe them. As a result, the meeting with the enemy or hindrance is where those two characters meet again and the trickster is tricked. The dupe um, wins over. But that, as I show in the book, isn't an effective story structure to use because it just resets the playing field. You're back to where you started. Mm. And what I talk about in the book is that we all have an inner trickster. We think things will be okay, and we don't really look at the fine detail. That's one example. So we've been given powers of reasoning. We use them against ourselves, and we end up shortchanged at the end. If we can use our powers of reasoning as truly friends and helpers to explore how things really are, and sometimes have to look unpleasant situations in the face and take action based on those. Then we transform from a trickster structure to a quest structure, but there is a possibility of reaching an outcome, reaching a resolution eventually. And we have to be prepared to go through those try, try, try again stages and appreciate that it's not just one telling of a story, one journey through that structure that may need to happen. It's more than one. You have to keep going. In real life, telling the story or when you're practicing the story, you mean in real life, telling the I'm, story? It's not just practicing or telling the story. I mean, living the story. Wow. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of situations of unpleasant workplace situations or difficulties in implementing a product or you have to convince somebody who's uh, skeptical. You go into that situation and the story structures I've outlined can help you map out the process you need to follow to get to the result you want. In real life, you don't have to see story as something that you perform or put into a wider context of a business presentation full of facts and figures intended to convince. Oh, I think I'm getting what you're meaning. You're saying you can use this as a way to problem solve in real life. Is that exactly? Yes. Yes. I love it. I, I do agree that learning the art of storytelling has absolutely changed the way I think about things and not just about stories. It's the way I think about tools and techniques and processes and the interconnected elements of cause and effect. So I, I'm 100% on board with that and completely agree. Oh, good. So, Emily, tell me what you do to uh, um, go from, right, we've got the story, we know what we want to say, now how do we put it across in the most effective way? Yes, great. So for a lot of my clients, they don't have a massive amount of time to prep generally. And it, it, yes, if they're going onto the TED stage or they're doing a conference talk, but if they're doing this in the corporate world, they generally don't have a lot of time. So I try and get them to 
write out their story in as few words as possible. So whether it's a five words for each part of the structure so that they can condense down what's the essence of what happens at the start of the story, what's the essence of what happens in the middle and what's the essence of what happens at the end, sort of like trying to get to that gym selfie clarity, then you have to say it out loud. If you are going to verbally share your talk, then you have to say it out loud and hear how it sounds and how it flows and whether you're missing particular components. There's also some ingredients that I always tell people to try and have in their stories apart from the structure. So I always tell people to make sure that and I know it sounds really obvious, but have characters in their story. So have people doing something. The amount of times a tech person will talk in a story and it has no people doing anything, it's um, it's amazing. So people must be doing something and there must be clear time markers. So ideally start with a time marker and then if your story moves on by a few weeks, moves on by a few months, if it moves on by a few years, make that passage of time really clear. So. When I ask people to say it out loud, if I'm with them or if they're by themselves, I always try and get them to think about or note, did you include characters and were there time markers? Because you can't really understand something, a story very well, if you don't know the passage of time, to, at least to me, doesn't really make a lot of sense. But how about you? Well. I'm strict, and many people who have trained with me in terms of public speaking and presentation have ended up leaving their jobs because they found that they can no longer cope with the uh, split between what they want to do personally, what they want to stand up for, and what the company is asking them to do. I have a model for effective communication, which is basically a triangle with thought at the top, word on the left and deed on the right. In that triangle, I argue there is a model for effective communication where thought, word and deed combine, support each other. And when they do, they come together to support a well-crafted message that is grounded in something which is central to all three, which is stance. And stance is the why behind the what of whatever it is you're saying why you're standing up to speak about something in the first place. If you have that clear, then you have a clear message. You can then put the five elements of the classical rhetorical uh, process into that triangle. Your thoughts are inventio. You need to get your ideas clear. Then you have the structure. Then at word, you have the eloquence. Then between eloquence and delivery, you have memory. It's really important to memorize whether it is the structure or whether it is key elements. Uh, ideally, your whole thing, but you need to be able to improvise as well. And then it's the delivery. And if those elements come together, then you're able to be very present to your audience. You're not thinking about what you're saying or how you're saying, but you're thinking about who you're saying it to and how it's coming across in the moment. As part of delivery, you have use of space, body language, voice, use of props. All that is important. I'm sure you do that too, but that's 
Absolutely. What I grill clients I work with in thinking about in terms yeah. of an effective model. And do you tell them to write any of it out or is it all done verbally and in people's heads? Of course, they'll need, if they're needing to refer to notes, if they've got complex facts or figures that need to be accurate, then why not write it out? But don't read your notes. Mm. Refer to them, look up at the audience and deliver the point. PowerPoint is another thing or whatever slide program you're using. It must be used as speaker support, not speaker supplant. Mm. Yeah. It's, there's not a whole lot of support PowerPoint can do for a story unless it's a picture, I believe, anyway. Single image per slide, single point per slide. Wow, super interesting conversation. I'm coming back here and fascinated what you are telling telling us about the so interesting things about storytelling and also the how to, no? The the last things you you were telling us how to uh, prepare for a story when the time comes. One question I'd like to ask you is do you feel yourself your storyteller? Emily, are you a storyteller? You feel that? Definitely. Absolutely. And I feel like everyone is a storyteller because every single person that's listening to this tells a story at least one time a day. Yeah, I felt that as well because you started answering with a story. We just start with story and then your point. So it's like, I love that. Leon, are you a storyteller yourself? They tell me I am. People have in the past paid to hear me tell stories. So, yes. <laughs> But there are different contexts. There's the fireside chat, and we tell stories around the, the fire. And then there's the performance storytelling arena, and that's different. And I'm comfortable in both worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You both are storytelling, no, no doubt. That's so, so fascinating conversation I've been hearing. All of us are here. What about you, Oscar? Are you a storyteller? <clears throat> yeah, actually, it's a good question, because I don't... I don't feel that always a storyteller. Yeah, for sure. I don't feel I'm always a storyteller, but I have been using stories effectively many times when I know they have to be used. Yeah, that's that's what I feel about myself. Yeah, I definitely love stories. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm telling all the time, but I know it is that's needed to tell all the time. Can I add to that? Because I, <laughs> I come from a pure maths background and my modus operandi is to tell information. So it's a lot of times it's a conscious decision to go with a story because I know that's going to resonate a whole lot more. But in our home lives and with our friends, we're absolutely telling stories all the time. So if someone asks you, how was your weekend or how was your trip or, gosh, what happened the other day with such and such, you would go to a time marker, you would include characters, you'd include dialogue, you'd do everything that a great story does It's just about being able to translate that to the corporate world, in my opinion. And stories do not have to be narrative forms. They can be patterns of thought. You just went through a pattern of thought there, Oscar. Am I a storyteller? Hmm, let me think about it. Yes, I am. And that three-part structure was doubt, examination, and then articulation. And that's one of the structures I put in my book. It's called the revelation structure. 
It <laughs> follows the rhetorical thing of Veni Vidi Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. I came because I, there was a sense of doubt, room I had to find out for myself. I saw how things were with my own eyes. And as a result of that, I took action. I was able to articulate a plan and carry it out. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'll ask you a final question to, to both of you. Let's take randomly. And for Leon, let's see what happens. Tell us, what is your favorite quotation, Leon? Oh, I have many, but one of the quotations I have to share with you is from my book. Story shapes the story spinner. Story shapes the story spinner's story. And the story spinner's development of self and story. And as soon as a story spinner becomes aware of that, story recognizes itself. I can Very see the poetic. point of you. <laughs> Very, very nicely written. For Emily, let's see what, what comes to you. Okay. Leave us with, an, with a routine to shine, an exercise, something that we can do regularly to shine. Okay. My favorite routine to do in the morning is to sit down and write out four separate things. So I write out three things I'm grateful for. I write three things I'm proud about. I write three affirmations. And then I write out three goals that I have. And this is the best way to get centered and to be grateful and to focus on the positive and to rewire any negative thoughts and to think about what you really want to focus on and work on for the day or that week. And to me, it makes a massive difference. So sitting down and spending even one minute to write up those things in the morning sets you up for an amazing day. Yeah, definitely a very good way to start the day. Yeah, fascinating conversation. Please, uh, I would like to hear your final words. Uh, please, Leon. So I would love for people to find out more about my work. You can do so by clicking on leonconrad.com. If you're interested in finding more about the book, click on the writer page. If you sign up to my newsletter, you'll get to my Substack. Uh, page in which I'm currently up to March 2023 running a monthly competition. It's mainly for writers, but business people can learn a lot about it because it's a course and competition on all aspects of writing a good story. Everyone's a winner in there. You can find out more about that. And Story and Structure, my latest book, has been nominated for the People's Book Prize in the UK. And anyone can vote for the book. Please do so. The link will be on the page of this podcast i'd be very grateful for your vote yes we will share it and congratulations for that yeah thank you emily well, well final remarks i think i just want to reinforce that everyone is already a natural storyteller and that stories don't need to be extraordinary so start noticing stories in the everyday you'll notice them on social media you'll notice them in advertising you'll notice them in podcasts and try to build up your own story file. That's what I would do. If you want more tips, I regularly post on Twitter and LinkedIn, and I also have a weekly newsletter that's designed for people in tech 
that want to learn very practical hacks that they can implement in their working. Very good. Excellent. Thanks a lot. And again, it's a pleasure hearing you both storytellers having a very <laughs> entertaining conversation and a lot to learn about this art of storytelling. Again, it was a pleasure talking with you both, Leon, Emily, and all the best. Thank you, Oscar. Thanks Good to meet you, Emily. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time, 